0: Amen. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to open it with me to Romans 1. Very excited to be finishing our Gospel Fluency series. It has been a great blessing, and uh, I just need you to know that our technology is a great blessing. We had some technical issues, and I didn't have these slides in the uh, first service. Jessica worked really hard on them, too, so I'm glad you could see them. And and also, it helps me because... uh, you know, generally I've got two or three slides in my message, but today I had a bunch of them. So, uh, it's gonna be busy. Who's, who's running slides back there today? Alright, is that Allison? Alright, get ready. We're gonna, we're gonna rock through some verses. It's gonna be good. We're gonna kinda go through a lot of scripture today, uh, and I'm excited about wrapping up this series. What we're hoping to do today is kind of put all of these pieces together. We've been talking about the gospel, going through some theological aspects of it, every single step by step. And now today we're kind of bringing it all together and putting it Together in a way that we can very easily understand it articulate it and communicate it to each other and to ourselves and to the world around us I do want to say if you're visiting with us, we're super glad you're here today is a little bit different type of message for us If uh, you come here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to preach the Bible We're going to read a passage and we're going to see what God has to say to us from that passage, but today is really more of a Bible study than a sermon per se, because we're going to look at the whole of Scripture to talk about some broad themes as we look to build this gospel foundation. If you didn't get a study guide, I would encourage you to grab one of those. They're at these back counters here. You can get now if you want or on your way out. There's a lot of great content in there that will help you as you walk through that. And hopefully it'll be a resource you can keep and remember for years to come. It's not just a study sheet. It's like a three or four page deal this week. So I'd encourage you to grab one if you haven't already. So I'm excited to be able to do this, and I believe God's going to do some cool things. So, so far what we've done in the last five weeks is we have kind of went piece by piece through the theological themes of the gospel in order to build this foundation that we're using today. So here again is just the hope of this message from the very beginning. Let me tell you what I'm praying will happen is that every one of us will walk out of here with a very clear and succinct way to communicate the truth of the gospel. Uh, We use the word gospel a lot here, and with good reason. You're going to hear us use the word gospel even more. And we, every message we say the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And I think if we're not careful, what we do sometimes as church folks is we use these terms without really knowing what they mean. And we talk about the gospel, but then when you say what is the gospel, I think sometimes you get a lot of different answers. And well, the gospel is this, the gospel is that. And not that any of those are wrong in and of themselves, but it ends up being a very broad thing without ever really nailing it down. So what I'm wanting to happen today is for us as a church to kind of have an, a language that we use when we're talking about the gospel. So when we leave here, I, I desire that we would all be able to communicate it in a very simple way that we understand. So, So that's the heart of this. That's what we're after. And I believe God's going to use it for some cool things. So let's read Romans chapter one, starting in verse 16. And then we'll pray and get to work today. I'm turning in my Bible here. I'm using a lot of Bible verses today. It's going to get crazy. All right. Bible says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith the gospel of jesus christ is the foundation of the christian life that word gospel simply means good news and the good news of jesus christ is what absolutely transforms our lives and enables us to live as god's people Yet again, though, when I ask people about the gospel, when I ask people, hey, when did you give your life to Christ or when did you meet Jesus or share your faith story with me? One thing that happens quite a bit is people will talk to me and they'll say a lot of things kind of like, well, I've grown up in church my whole life. I've pretty much been in church my entire life. Or they'll say, well, I really try to be a good person. I'm not always successful, but I try to be good. And I pray that when I meet the man upstairs, he'll let me in. And that's not just from people outside of the church. That's even from people inside the church. Now, here's what I want to do real quick, because I know some of you may be thinking, he's talking about me. That's what I say. That's how I articulate what I think about Jesus. Well, here's what I want to make sure you understand. I'm not trying to make you think that perhaps you're not saved today. But here's what I want to do. And you need to know this. This is good news. You didn't have to pass a theological exam to meet Jesus. Aren't you glad for that? You didn't have to pass a test to come to Christ. If you met Jesus, if, if he called you and you surrendered your life to him and asked him to be your Savior and Lord, I need to tell you right now that you know Jesus and nothing is going to separate you from him. But what I'm hoping will happen today is that we will be able to develop a language for what it is that happened when you surrendered your life to him. What is it that happened that led to this opportunity for you to have new life? So the gospel is the foundation of everything. It's the only way that we can be made right with God. So this is what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about the gospel kind of from two broad perspectives. We're going to talk about the big picture gospel, and we're going to talk about the personal gospel. So let's zoom out a little bit here at the very beginning and talk about the big picture gospel. The big picture gospel is creation, fall, and redemption. Everybody say the big picture gospel. All right, all five of you. All right, we're good. See how you try to make sure everybody's awake. Uh, just make them talk a little bit, all right? We're going to talk about the big picture gospel first. So turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 1-1. We'll have some verses on the screen for you too, but go all the way. We're going to talk about creation for a minute. We're going to talk about creation. The Bible says that in the beginning, in Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything that we see, everything that is out there. He created it. We have a creator. This didn't just happen. God created the world and everything in it. And what we're told is that in verse 31... God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. If you read through Genesis 1, you're going to see God created this, and it was good. He created this, and it was good. Then he created this, and it was good. Then he created this, and I mean, it was all right. No, it didn't say that. He created everything, and everything that he created, he said, it is good. God's creation was perfect and holy, and everything existed just in the way that God created it to exist And the world was a good and perfect place. Now, some of you may be like me when you read about Adam and Eve living in the garden and it's paradise and all this. I know for me, I'm like, I don't even like to camp, let alone like live in a garden. Like, that's not really my idea of paradise. I feel like God created me in the right era where we have iPhones and air conditioning, right? Like, I'm all about that. But the idea isn't just that we're all going to go camp in a garden. The idea of paradise is that everything in the world was exactly as God intended it. Think about this. No evil. No injustice. No sin to struggle with. Everything in the world was perfect and holy just as God created it to be. The world was good because of the good creator. And The world was not flawed by sin. The world was good because we have a creator who is good. And creation reveals to us the character of the Creator. The character of the Creator. God's character is revealed through His creation. Psalm 19 is going to tell us that, that creation, you know, when you go out and you see thunderstorms. Of course, you know, now when we see the sun, we're going to be like, what's that, right? When we see creation, it makes us wonder at God and who He is. But Psalm 19 tells us it's not just making us say, wow, there's a God, but the creation itself is actually revealing God's character. He is a good God. It's amazing when you start talking to people who are smarter than me about creation itself, that if the earth is tilted a few more degrees one direction, we all burn up and there's no life on this planet, Uh, that if nature is not assembled in the way that it is, that life doesn't exist, it is a fine-tuned, beautiful, amazing creation that God has created to bless us, even in the midst of us having to bring our boats up here today. God is good and his creation reveals his good character. But not only that, creation reveals God's holiness. He is a holy God. Holy means set apart. That's how we usually define it. But here's something I've always thought about. You know, we say, what does it mean to be holy? Well, it means set apart. Okay, I got ten people up here. One of them is a murderer. Are they holy? No, but they're set apart from the rest of them, right? So how is God set apart? He is set apart specifically in the areas of righteousness and justice. God is always right, and He is always just. And you and I were created to reflect His good character. Leviticus 11.44 says, For I, the Lord, Am your God, consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And then later on in chapter 20, it says, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And to be honest, we could go on and on and on with scriptures that echo that same sentiment. God saying, I am holy. You, my people, be holy. God created everything in the world. To reflect his good character. And just as creation testifies to the holiness and awesomeness of God, so we as God's creation ought to testify and declare the holiness and goodness of our God. That's what we were created to do. We were made in the image of God to reflect the image of God to this world. God's people are to be a holy people. A people who live righteously and justly according to God's standard. So this is creation, but now... We move to the tragedy in the story, and the tragedy is the fall. Fall. Adam and Eve's sin leads to separation from God for all of mankind. If you're in your Bible, you can turn to Genesis 3. We've got uh, the verse up here, though. Genesis 3, 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. This is the lie. God said, hey, listen. I've given you all this thing and all of this in this garden is for your good and for your blessing, every single bit of it. But don't eat from this one tree. And then Satan comes in and he says, did God really tell you that? I don't know why God told you that. You need to understand that this is actually good. And if you eat of this tree, then you're really going to know everything. And then you're really going to be awesome. You think life's good now. Wait till you eat from this tree. Can I just tell you something? The same lie that the enemy used all the way back at the beginning is the lie that you and I fall for today. The lie that there's something out there better than God's design for us. Oh, God says this, but, man, don't you realize that your best life is really found over here? If you really want to experience the best things in this world, then you need to go this way. Not the way. God. Did God really say that? No, you don't understand. Your best life is found over here, not in God's principles and God's ways. It's the same lie that we fall for today, but there are consequences to that. In Genesis 3, 4, and 5, the serpent said to the woman, You'll not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the lie we fall for, that anything beside God can satisfy or enrich our lives. These things always result, though, in the opposite of that. They promise something they can't deliver on. When you fall into this, it doesn't actually satisfy. You've probably seen this pattern in your life. I think of uh, perhaps maybe food is one of the easiest things. You ever see something you're like, oh man, I'm about to demolish that pizza or whatever, and then you eat it and like immediately hate yourself, right? Anybody? I'm the only one with problems here. All right, y'all pray for me. All right, something that looks really good actually makes us feel bad, right? But yet the next time, guess what? I'm all about it, right? And the problem isn't really the thing itself. Is that, you know, I can't just eat a little pizza. Anybody else? Like, there's, it's I'm all or nothing. I'm just an extreme guy. It's like, you know, I want all of it, right? But there are times where it's like, man, this is just going to actually not. And, and I, I think of the, really we could just go on with examples about that. I think the enemy tells us, hey. I know God that says that sex inside of marriage is what's best for us. But man, look at these temptations over here. And you think, wow, this would be great. But what the Bible says is so true and people have found themselves in this snare. In the end, it leads to destruction and families that have fallen apart. And they say, the promise was so much better than the reality. Can I tell you, that's how sin always works. The snake says, oh, man, no, this fruit's going to be so good, you got to do it. And then it leads to the fall. Every single one of us have experienced this. And humanity's fall in the garden is what led to us. Separation from God for all mankind. Verse 8 of chapter 3 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. always love that, hiding from God. How's that going to work out for you, Right? Uh, listen, God is like the best hide-and-seek player ever, okay? You can't hide. Actually, but he also is self-declared the worst at hiding because he says, seek me and you will find me, all right? So he doesn't hide well, but you, you ain't going to hide from God, okay? So they hide from God, and God says, what's going on? And it leads to this encounter, and in this encounter, they even really are trying to lie and blame each other, and it's this this really messed up thing because sin tends to breed this in us, doesn't it? It just multiplies and gets worse and worse. And even before God himself, they're trying to get out of it, but God says no. And there are consequences to that sin and the separation from God happens. What's wild to me is to think that God walked around in the garden with them. The Bible says like he's just like walking around. So they're walking with God in the cool of the morning, shooting the bull, talking about life. But after this sin, they are separated, they're sent out of the garden in verse 23 says the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Creation itself literally changed because of the fall. Everything was different because of the fall. Humanity's relationship with God was different because of the fall. We were separated from him. If that was the end of the story, then there wouldn't be good news. The gospel would not be good news. It would be like one of those Oscar winning movies that just has a real bad ending. Anybody, some of you might be fans of that. Don't you hate when you're watching a movie and you're like, wait for it, the resolution's coming, I know it is, fade to black. And you're like, I really just wasted two or three hours of my life watching this, right? But can I tell you, I think our world, so many movies in that way in our world, because that's how the world sees the world today. It's how it sees our, our culture, views the world through that lens. Very fatalistic, there is not hope But can I tell you, that's why we need to be all the more adamant about sharing them the hope that comes in Christ. This world can be a very dark place, and the fall is a reality, and the world is a dark and broken place because of the fall. But we know the one who is in the work of redemption. That's the third part of the big picture gospel. We've got creation, we've got fall, and now we've got redemption. Did you know that God is in the business of redeeming all things, making all things new? God loved us enough that even though he knew we would sin, even though he knew his creation would rebel against him, that he set out to redeem his people. In the Old Testament, we see God initiating the sacrificial system. And he says, if you will do these things, then your sin can be atoned for. So say they would go and sacrifice an animal and atone for their sins. But it was an imperfect system because then on the way home from the temple, something would happen. I think what we've said is a camel. I don't know why that's the main mode of transportation in my head. But a camel cuts them off and they're like, beep, giving them signs with their hand. And next thing you know, they're in sin again before they even got home. And they've got to wait till the next time they can go and atone for their sins. And it creates this cycle of not being able to measure up to God. So they're desperately trying, but the Bible says that even this sacrificial system is ultimately pointing toward the ultimate sacrifice, where Jesus would be sacrificed for our sins once and for all. And He is in this work of redemption. Even though God knew that our sin would mess up his perfect creation, he still provided the way, and that is Jesus, to restore all of creation. The work of redemption is still taking place today, and you and I are a part of that. If you have been redeemed, you are redeemed so that you can be a part of this great work of redemption. Jesus is making all things new, even today. And that brings us to this next section, the personal gospel. Before we get there... Let's go back to that slide, the big picture gospel that has all three of them on there. Sorry, we're jumping around. Oh, yeah. Allison's hanging with me. All right. See, if she'd have had the, if the second service, she'd be nailing it right now. But I just, you know, we're we're working on it. Thank you. Let's talk these real quick. Big picture gospel. Creation, fall, and redemption. Y'all say that with me. Creation, fall, redemption. All right, that was bad. We're going to do it again. Creation, Fall redemption. So when we talk about the gospel, the, the overview, the big picture view of what is the gospel, it's creation, fall redemption. I want you to remember that. Let's move forward now to the personal gospel. Now, I know that we have spent literally four weeks, about 35 to 40 minutes a week, talking about each of these theological terms individually and putting them together. But I think it's important for us today to see how they all fit together piece by piece. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans 1. Romans 1. like Bible drills up in here today. Romans 1. Let's start by talking about justification. We said that justification is the process of being declared righteous. Justification is how we are declared righteous. Now, the first thing that people will often push back on when we talk about justification and being saved and needing Jesus, a lot of people will say, well, that's good, but I don't really need Jesus. I feel like I'm doing pretty good right now. I feel like I'm an all right person. I'm a spiritual person and I believe in God. So I think I'm doing okay." I love that Paul is going to immediately in the book of Romans and Romans one, two, all the way up to verse 20 in chapter three, spend a lot of time basically saying you are under the wrath of God. And I'll just tell you, there are times where I've heard sermons where it's like, man, this doesn't sound like good news to me. When are you going to get the grace? I'm ready for the grace. I bet when they were reading this letter, that's what everybody in the church in Rome was thinking. Because Paul starts with saying, are you a pagan who's never heard of God? You're not without excuse. You're under the wrath of God. You need Jesus. Are you a religious person? Are you a Jew among Jews? You're under the wrath of God. Are you thinking that you're keeping the law? No, you're not. You're under the wrath of God. And then at the in, in the beginning of chapter 3, he finally just says it. Here's what I'm trying to say. No one is righteous. No, not one. Every single person is in need of Jesus. Apart from Jesus' help, we are in a bad way. But justification tells us that God's wrath has been satisfied through Jesus Christ. In Romans three twenty four, Romans 3, first, let's look at it. It says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Summing up the first three chapters, he goes, yeah, I mean you. Every single person has sinned. But verse 24 says, see, you've memorized verse 23, but look at this one. This is the next verse. This is great. But we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that God poured out his wrath upon him and Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. This is where we get that theological word propitiation, which we said means Jesus paid it all. The full price for your sins, past, present and future was paid for by Jesus. Jesus paid it all. And all we need to do is accept the work of Jesus Christ on the cross through faith. Through faith. All you got to do is trust and believe in Him. There's nothing you can do coming to church, being a good person, tithing. I mean, I want you to keep doing that. But none of those things save you. Do you understand that? No works can save you. But the only thing that can save you is placing your faith in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. I love Romans 4. We haven't studied it together yet. But basically, Paul is going to take the Jew of Jews, the one who they all look to as the father of their faith. You may remember Father Abraham. He had many sons and many sons have Father Abraham. I'm one of them. You are too. Uh, You may remember that. This is how we expose who grew up in church and who didn't right now, uh, right there. That's how you do it. Uh, But anyways, Abraham really was their guy. Like when the Jews said, this is the one we're looking at, this is our point guy, this is the one who started this thing, they looked to Abraham. So here's what Paul does. He takes Abraham and does a case study on faith. He says, how was Abraham considered righteous before God? Was it because of what he did? And here's what I would ask you. Have you read Genesis lately? Those people were messed up. I think sometimes we think of all these heroes of the faith. You know why they were heroes? Because of their faith in God. It wasn't because of their actions. Man, you read through Genesis, there's some messed up people, some real sinners just like you and me. But the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Even all the way back in the beginning. It says, Abraham believed God, so it was counted to him as righteous. So Paul's going to say, hey, even the founder of your faith, if you have a Jewish background, is saved not because he was a good guy, not because he's Father Abraham. He is saved because he believed the promise of God. Do you have faith today in Christ? Romans chapter 5 goes on to talk about the reality that because of Adam's sin, we have all sinned and therefore we all deserve death. But Jesus' righteousness has become our righteousness, which has become our life. Look at Romans five eighteen. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. The only way to be justified is to place your faith in, in Jesus Christ. And all that means is to fully surrender to him. Let me ask you a question today. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Do you truly have faith in Jesus today? I'm not asking if you know about Jesus. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm not asking if you've grew up in church. I'm asking, do you really know Jesus? Do you really know him today? Do you have a real relationship with the living Savior? If not, today you can be justified before God if you just call out to Him and ask Him to be your Savior. So that's justification. Let's move on to sanctification. Sanctification is the process. It's an important word in this definition. The process of becoming holy, becoming more like Jesus. We said when we preached on sanctification that this doesn't just happen. Nobody wakes up and goes, wow, I'm sanctified. That's awesome. No, this is a process that will carry on through your entire life until you stand before God one day. But it's also important to mention this. The call to sanctification is not the call to get to work keeping your salvation. But instead, it's a call to rely on that same grace through faith that saved you. The only way you can grow in Jesus is to have faith in Jesus. I told a story at the first service that when I was on staff at the first church I was a pastor at, I was 26 years old, so they paid me like you would pay a 26-year-old, right? Uh, So it wasn't. It was the church. Though grew very quickly, so after a year or two, they gave me a significant raise. I'm already a little bit of a workaholic anyway, so I mean, I was putting in a lot of hours, doing a lot of work. But then when they gave me a raise, I'm thinking I got to turn it up even more, right? I got to earn this. And I think I do the same thing, and a lot of you probably do spiritually as well. When you look at what Jesus did for me, Jesus gave everything for me, so you know what, i got to turn it up even more. i somehow got to work even harder, but what we're doing, if we're not careful, is trying to earn our salvation that's already been given to us. But sanctification says that we just need to love Jesus more each and every day, follow him more each and every day. And as we do that, he is going to mold and shape us into who he wants us to be. Studies show that the people you hang out with, you can't help but kind of become like them. You pick up characteristics from each other and it just happens. I'm not sure why, but our staff still isn't using a Texas accent, but maybe one day, right? You just can't help it, though. The people you hang around with shape you. I will say this. There are already phrases that I never used in my entire life that now I use because I'm in Kansas. I'm not going to give you examples of them because then you'll hear them when I say them, and you're going to be like, oh, there you go. But like I was talking to a friend the other day from Texas, and they're like, what is that? And I'm like, I don't even know. I just It just happens, right? It just happens. In my heavy Texas draw, I'm just becoming more like you, Kansas, every single day, you know. But it happens. It just does. Here's, here's the question I want to ask you, though. Aren't there people in your life that when you're around them, you just know they've been with Jesus? They've been with Jesus. This is what sanctification looks like. That the more we are with Jesus, the more we press into him, the more we become like him. Romans six seventeen and 18 was our text when we talked about sanctification. And it says this, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. We talked about a transformed heart. So once our heart's in the right place, we can start becoming more like Jesus. To the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Once we experience the truth of the gospel, our fleshly desires are not the most important thing to us anymore. But instead, we delight in the joy that comes from knowing we are growing in Christ. And we said not only do we have a transformed heart, but we have a transformed law. The Bible changes for us. Romans chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. I think we have them up here. Romans 7, 5 and 6 says this. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So before Jesus, our flesh ran our lives, and the result of that was death. But verse 6 says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So we have been released from the law. Our life has totally changed. The law of God is a burden for unbelievers. If you don't know Jesus and you read the Bible, guess what you see it is? This is a rule book, y'all. It's telling us everything we need to do. You don't do that, do this, and it's all this crazy stuff. But the sanctified life says that we're not walking according to the flesh anymore, but we're walking according to the spirit. And when we're walking according to the spirit, the word of God is transformed for us. This isn't a rule book, but rather this is the flashlight that shows us how to walk in a dark world. And this is what shows us how to walk in God's blessing. So we actually start delighting in the Word of God because we know He reveals Himself to us through His Word. Do you want to get to know God more? Get in His Word. That's how it happens. And that's the beauty of the Word of God. We spend time with God when we open up the Bible and read it. Sanctification is a process. It doesn't just happen. It requires grace, time, patience, but continually growing. That's sanctification. Now let's talk about glorification. Glorification. We preached on this last week. This is the process of God setting all things right. All things right. There is coming a day where God will come and rule and reign over all his creation for all eternity. There's kind of two layers of this. First, we've got the big picture glorification, which is the fact that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's going to be a great day. But the personal level of glorification is this. The battle with the flesh will be over. Is anybody ready for that? Is anybody ready to be done with this? Heart that that looks like the end of Romans 7 where it's like I want to do this But then I don't do it and then I don't want to do this But then I do it and it's just a battle that is waging within our hearts That will be over on the day we stand before god Every intention of our heart will be pure Every motivation will be pure Are you ready to have conversations with people where you know that that there's just nothing but purity there? I'm anxious for this wonderful day. Romans 8 is what we studied last week. It it told us that the world is groaning, that humanity is groaning, and even the Spirit of God Himself is groaning. Everyone is longing for the day when God will set all things right. But we groan with hope because we know that the day is coming, and Christ has already won the victory. This is what theologians call the already and not yet. When Jesus died on the cross and declared, it is finished. At that very moment, we were justified with God. When we called out to him, he sees us as perfect and holy because of what Jesus has done for us. Yet we still live in a fallen world. We still struggle with sin. But there's coming a day where we will celebrate the victory forever. When the final work of redemption will happen in Christ. Aren't you ready for that day? Friends, this is the gospel. So the personal gospel, we have justification, sanctification, glorification. These are bigger words. Can you say them with me, though? Justification, sanctification, glorification. Okay, so the big picture gospel, do you remember it? Let's see. Creation, fall, redemption. And then the personal gospel is justification, sanctification, and glorification. I told you when we started this was going to be more of a Bible study today, but here's my hope. Is that when we use that phrase gospel, you will know the truth behind that. That we have a God that even though humanity sinned, loved us enough to begin this work of redemption. And that he loves you and me enough that he came to die on the cross, not just for all of creation, but for you. And that he desires you to love him more so that you can grow in grace So that ultimately on that day we can stand before him and worship and enjoy him forever and ever. Here's the reality. When I started preparing this message and talking to people about it, they were like, you know, that's great. We really do need to know how to share the gospel. Can I tell you, that's not been what this is. I don't think it would probably be wise to roll up somebody and be like, "Uh, can I talk to you about Jesus Well, let's start with the doctrine of justification like that's not gonna go well I don't even know who that's an impersonation of but let the hearer understand. All right, so like that's probably not a good idea Can I tell you what the intention of this message has been today? I want you to be able to preach the gospel to yourself Here's the reality God has given us a mission as a church and That mission is to reach teach live and love like jesus can I just tell you something? We can't accomplish this mission without understanding the truth of the gospel. I love you. I love this church. But this church is not capable of fulfilling this mission apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are some talented people here. God's given us a great staff and great leaders and great people within this body and within this family. But we're not good enough to save Wichita. We're not good enough to reach out to Kansas. But can I tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power of God to make unrighteous sinners righteous. And to transform lives. And you know what? When you realize that it's just the gospel that has changed us, there is nothing special about us. There's nothing special about this church. But there is something very special about our Savior. And that same Savior that changed us has equipped us and given us everything we need to reach, teach, live, and love like he has loved us. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to teach the gospel to yourself this week. To remember that Jesus loves you right now as much as he will ever love you. And because of that, I want you to press into Jesus every day. I want you to wake up and spend time in the Word. I want you to spend time in the Word every single time you get a chance and let God speak to you and mold and shape you. I want you to live with hope that the rest of the world doesn't live with because we actually know Jesus and we know how this works out in the end. I want the gospel to shape each and every part of our lives so that then when people do start asking us questions, we are ready to share with them what Jesus Christ did for them. It's all we've got, church. The gospel is all we have. But the good news is that the gospel is all we need. You know right now that this church has everything that it could possibly need to change the world. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. You bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we're thankful for your gospel thankful for your work on the cross on our behalf so that we could have life god i know that that today for some especially if they have missed some of these sermons leading up to this this may be kind of like trying to take a sip out of a fire hydrant but god i'm thankful that at the end of the day the truth of the gospel is very simple that's that you loved us enough even though we were sinners You died on the cross for our sins so that we could have life. And I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that people would come to know you if they don't. But God, I pray for those in this room like me who know you but tend to forget the gospel. Lord, you didn't save us because we're special. You didn't call us... (laughs) Because of our abilities but Lord it was just by your grace And you just call us to trust you place our faith in you Lord I pray that that faith Would be evident in each of our lives that we would grow by faith that we would Reach teach live and love like you by faith Thank you for what you're going to do Lord